You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Chen. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. So a missions conference is an opportunity we have to raise money, not to pay the electric bill and not to mow the yard, not to paint the building. It is money that's totally and completely designated to our missions endeavor, primarily to reach people who've never heard the gospel in their life. Now, most of us use what we call the Faith Promise Mission Plan. Now, let me illustrate that for a moment. You know, I have a lot of good friends that are Southern Baptist pastors, and most of their churches will give 10% of their budget uh, for missions. So when I pastored Eastland Baptist Church, about the time I was leaving, um, our general budget was about a $1.2 million or something. And I know that's nothing now, but we're talking 20, something years, 20 years ago. So if we had given 10% to missions, we would have given a little over $100,000. Are you with me? Our, our general budget was a little over a million, so to give 10% would have been a little over $100,000. But my last year at Pastor in the Eastland Baptist Church, our people gave above and beyond their tithe for missions $367,000. So if we had not had faith promise, we would have had to write a letter to about 70% of our missionaries and say it's time for you to come home because we don't have enough money to support you. Faith Promise has been one of the greatest tools I've ever seen because it's just when an individual like you or like me or maybe a husband and wife bows and said, Lord, uh, we want to give a certain amount of money that goes only to missions. What would you have us to give? And God will give you direction about how to do that. So Faith Promise is a certain amount of money that you trust the Lord for Above and beyond your tithe, again, not to take care of the expenses of the properties of the church and so forth, but to go to our missionaries. Now, in Sunday school, I read a couple of faith promise testimonies, and I'd like to do that again, but we're going to be in the last chapter of Matthew if you want to locate that, and you will have that found ahead of time. If I can find exactly what I'm looking for. All right. This is one of my earlier faith promise testimonies. Um, I mentioned in Sunday school, I do a fair number of missions conferences, and, and I'd like to make the offer to you. If you have a faith promise missions testimony, uh, you type it out and give it to me, and as the Lord leads, I just look through them each time I go to a church doing missions and say, Lord, which one of these would you like me to read? And he usually kind of impresses on my heart. So this is one of the earlier ones, way back in the 60s when I first started. And so it's Doug Gamble walked the aisle and accepted Christ at Bible Baptist Church in Vallejo, California. And as a new Christian, in the late 60s, he heard a message by Reverend Alan Swires, missionary to the Indians of Alaska. Reverend Swires said that his airplane was in very poor condition and that it was just a matter of time before he and the plane would be goners. He asked the church to pray, not for a new plane, but for a better plane. The message touched Doug's heart. He wanted to do something for the missionary. He was single back then for the missionary and and for the Indians. Doug was young, had no savings, but he did have an almost complete collection of uncirculated Lincoln pennies. 
He sold them at a coin store for $200 and gave all the money in the missions conference for the missionary to get a plane. Years later, Doug picked up a Corn World magazine and noticed that his pennies had really gone up in value. He thought to himself, I shouldn't have gotten so emotional giving away those pennies. Look what they'd be worth now if I'd have kept them. You know, $200. A few months later, Doug received a call informing him that his former boss, his name was Ed Gleason, had passed away. Doug had witnessed to his boss giving him the gospel, but the, uh, the boss had remained devout in his religion and had been hurt when Doug left to go to another company to get a promotion. Ed's sister said it was important for Doug to attend the funeral. After the funeral, there was a gathering of friends and relatives in Mill Valley, California. At the gathering, Ed's sister asked if Doug knew that Ed had left something for him in his will. Doug said no, he's not aware of that. She said, well, in his will, Ed left for you his uncirculated silver dollar collection. Have you ever read that some book says you reap what you sow? It can be so specific. He gave an uncirculated collection of coins, pennies. The collection was worth $22,000. Doug had given the missionary $200 worth of pennies and questioned if it had been a good decision. God gave Doug back dollars. God gave Doug 100 times what Doug had given God. Doug thought maybe God was saying, I'll give you a hundredfold and a tithe on top of it. He said, I've never been so humbled and ashamed in questioning God. So you say, you know, that's never happened to me. Well, me either, but things have happened for me. And maybe I didn't have the faith that Doug had or something. Who knows? But God's always faithful. Well, last chapter of Matthew, if um, you can stand in honor of the reading of God's Word, I'd like to ask you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, uh, those that do have a Bible might look around and make sure in case somebody else does not have one. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to be looking at what's referred to as the Great Commission, verses 19 and 20. And if you'll just follow silently as I read these two verses, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in this good church. What a good spirit I feel here. What attentiveness in, from these good people. Thank you, Lord, for the special by the young people. That especially blesses my heart. The hope of our future in America is our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren, whatever our age may be. And I thank you for them. And I wish them your speed as they finish off their work here and then maybe off to Bible college or wherever you call them to go. I pray now, Holy Spirit, you'd illumine our hearts and minds to understand Bible truth. 
And then, Lord, as we understand it, we'd realize it's incumbent for us to act on it. And whatever can be accomplished by our being together, we'll give you all the glory and the praise for you alone are worthy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I mentioned the little church that I got saved in in Arlington, Texas, and not been in the church too awfully long, and they had a missionary come. Now, I'd been going to church since for nine months before I was born, but it wasn't a Baptist church, and there's no use going over that. And I think in some ways it was a good church, but some doctrinal error maybe. And the main thing is, after going to that church for 14 years, I was never under conviction. Now, you know, you might not like everything a Baptist preacher normally says, but you'll probably understand it. G. Kimmel Morgan said the difference in preachers in the first century and the 21st century is that preachers in the first century preach to people. Preachers in the 21st century preach in front of people. Now, if you're not confronting people with the gospel, anybody will come. If you're being confronted with the Word of God, one or two things will happen. You'll eventually adhere to it, or you'll just turn away. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like the book. I had never heard a missionary before. And so he gets up and preaches what we refer to as a great commission and the verses that I just read. Now a little church in Arlington, Texas, like I said, run 35-40. And back then Arlington was not that big. Probably about 35,000 people. Now I think it's several hundred thousand. And I would think well, now, here we are in a town with 35,000 people, and we only run in 35 to 40. And this missionary has the audacity to come in here and tell us we're supposed to preach the gospel to every human being on this earth. Well, I did say I had a small head. This is a six and seven eighths. It's about the same size as a six-year-old boy. <laughs> so don't expect much from me. <laughs> Some of y'all got a big head. (laughs) To whom much has been given, much shall be required. So I'm thinking about this. Why would we be asked to do that and we don't have, evidently we don't have the ability. And to this day, I don't understand why that missionary, H.E. Butcher was his name. He was a missionary to Germany, the first missionary I ever met. Why he did not include verse 18? Because I don't think you're going to do anything with verses 19 and 20 without verse 18. Well, let's look at it. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, and what did he say? All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. I just want to say that changes the picture. When you just look at the last two verses, it feels like, you know, that's completely on me. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do it. And I can't do it. Uh, But the Lord can do it, and He wants to use us to do it. As a matter of fact, I believe that's the reason we walk the face of the earth. I mean, why would God go to all the trouble to make a place like the earth? You know, when I sometimes ride trains, you know, 
They don't put signs out behind big companies on the train track. They put them on the road. People drive their cars. And I sometimes see those big buildings. I wonder what they make there. I mean, some of those things are a half mile long, nearly a mile long. I can't imagine going up to somebody and saying, what do y'all make here? Oh, nothing. We just want to build big buildings. I've never heard of that. You know, the biggest building we know about is the world. And do uh, you know what the world's going to make? It's only, this world's only got one product. The only thing it's eventually going to produce is a people for you heard Habitat for Humanity. And the reason God made a beautiful earth and it's one fantastic place is so we could live here and hear the gospel and Christ is our personal Savior. And when that job is done, God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. It'll be history. You understand what that means? that the greatest single thing that we can be involved in and give our time to and our talent to and our money to is to reach people for Christ. I was talking to the pastor, and I just love the way God works. And Man, I could tell you stories for a month, and you don't want to hear them that long. But I was only saved three years when I went in the Navy. And when I went in the Navy, I, baby Christians, I think I mentioned, I love them. They don't know anything to do but just what the Bible says. And so I, I landed up on that submarine. I'd been on it about three months, and I mentioned this to the pastor. The captain and the executive officer called me in and said, Hardy, we've been watching you. Now, I was no preacher. I was a 17-year-old boy that was so skinny I had to eat bananas and drink milk to get in because I didn't weigh enough. Man, when I, in a shower, if I hadn't had big feet, I'd have gone down the drain. I mean, you know, it's just... You, you got you to you know, get this in focus. And so the captain and the executive officer called me, and they're both lost men. Neither one of these guys know the Lord. And they say, Hardy, we've been watching you. And I'm thinking, this is not good. I don't want to say anything. I'm just thinking, hey, this is not good. And they said, you don't do drugs, do you? I said, no, sir. You don't drink? No, sir. You don't even smoke? No, sir. Fourth thing they asked me, you don't have any girl pictures on your locker, which sailors are pretty famous for. I said, no, sir. Now, that lost captain and executive officers, I couldn't believe these. I didn't know what was coming. With what was coming next, he said, Hardy, I want you to hold religious services on this submarine when it's at sea. Now, that was a lost man's standard for a Christian sailor. You say, what are you doing here? Because a lost man, <laughs> God walked th worked through a lost man and said, you're going to do the preaching on this submarine on Sunday. Yeah, a lot of things didn't happen. You know, our little mess hall, as you'd call it, that had four small, six people to each table. We had four tables. It was packed out with 24. It was amazing. It was full just nearly every Sunday. Two preachers came out of that. A few of the others got saved. Now we have a reunion every two years. About every month or two now, I get an email. One of the other crew members is going to eternal patrol. I remember Delbert Cross is in my mind right now. He's 86. And I, he's been divorced and remarried four times. I'm not downing him. I'm just describing his life 
And every port we went to, we went over and got drunk and got in fights. A big guy and handsome. And I worked with him. I was a torpedo man. He was a torpedo man. And he was always good to me, but that was his life. Now he's 86. He lives by himself. He had no children. He's lonely. He never came to one of my services. But we worked together, you know. The Bible says we're salt, you know. <laughs> salt of the earth. Salt doesn't talk, but it changes everything it touches. And so anyway, I get out in 60, 1966, and we started having those reunions. It's been about seven or eight years ago now, and I was at the reunion, and Cross sitting down beside me, and he said, Hardy, this world's in a mess. I, thought, I hadn't heard that before. And what I wanted to say, yeah, you're the reason it's in a mess. But I thought it wasn't a good time to say that. And the reunion was over, and but I do a memorial service for him every time, and sailors don't know what memorial service is. I just preach the gospel, you know, and tell them about it, Pastor. And I was in Tennessee at the Bill Ross Ranch, and I remembered Cross. Herbert Dale Cross lives in Tennessee. I called him. He was only an hour and 15 minutes from the ranch. I went down. We had a hamburger together. We were sitting out in his driveway in a couple of folding chairs. Baptists know about folding chairs, you know. There is... Well, you know, if you don't do right, you're going to go to Baptist purgatory. You'll move folding chairs and folding tables for a thousand years. So, We're sitting out there, and I said, uh, how you doing, Dale? He said, since the last time we were together, I hadn't had any dope. I haven't drank one drop. I haven't smoked one cigarette. And I'm about to get this carousing under control, and he said, I'm about to get that cussing under control. He had made quite a bit of progress. I said, is there anything else? His face just went down faster. Like, that's not enough. I said, no. Anybody ever take the Bible and show you what it means to make sure you're going to heaven? He said, no. I said, any reason we can't do it? He said, no. We did it. Went through that. Cross, you know you're a sinner. Hardy, you don't need to talk to me about being a sinner. You know me. I said, oh, the only reason why we can't get down and pray about it and you just get this settled? He said, no. We did. I'm telling you, for all those years, I never heard anything. He could turn the air blue. And every time I talk to him now, last time was last week, the last word coming out of his mouth, I love you, brother. I love you, brother. Now when you get to heaven, the first person you want to see is Christ, no doubt. And we have family members. But then you know who you want to see? You come to a guy in heaven and you walk up to him and he looks at you and he says, I'm here because of you. Who's going to be in heaven because of you? You know you want it, don't you? We wish we could just see them and their mate. You don't know. And I'm telling you, one way to see the most of them saved is to be involved in missions. Because the big harvest is not in America. I was talking to some of our Filipino friends over here. Not, I've not known before, but I've been to the Philippines, and um, millions of people have been served in the military, saved in the military since World War Philippines since World War II. So much. So that's what missions is all about. So just three thoughts here. First of all, God has the power and the authority to call us into His work. Now, the same word that's translated power here is at some other places in the New Testament translated authority. 
they are very similar in certain things. You know, power might be, for some people, you would think about just a big guy that's strong, but you can have a little guy or a woman or whatever that's in authority, and there's authority, but God has both the power and the authority to call us into his work. Now, I don't think you can ever have the kind of missions conference God wants you to have till you, till you agree with that. There's no way for me to ask everybody here, but you think about it for a moment. How many of y'all thinking you might surrender to missions before this day is over? And already some of y'all said, I'm too old for that. That's not your decision to make. Our decision is to say God has the power and authority to call me. I'm going to make an effort to do it. You know, I'm not educated enough. Or you can be like Moses who, you know, said, I can't speak. God has the power and the authority to call you, or he doesn't. Now, right here, I believe we can see it. But there are so many places in the Bible that we could add to that. Peter and Andrew, what are they? Fishermen. Never been to Bible college, never been to a seminary, anything like that. They're fishermen and probably cussed just about like my friend before they met the Lord. And he called them. They're, they're cleaning the nets. And he said, follow me. There was no discussion. They put them down. And you say, well, if all I was doing was fishing, I'd do that too. They weren't just fishing. That was their business. They were small businessmen. I love businessmen. I like to talk to them. Because they've got the responsibility of not only making sure the business is done, they've got to find the business. And then make sure they're going to get paid for the business. I mean, it's quite a chore. You know, sometimes God calls you when you're just up on the curve and things are really going good. That's when God shows up and says, I'm going to change everything you're doing and change your whole life. And it's kind of happened to me. Of course, when I got out of the Navy, I just thought I was supposed to be preaching during the Navy. And when I got out, I mean, that was all God asked me to do. And I went to the University of Texas at Arlington to take electrical engineering because I had electronics, electricity in the Navy. But I went on that campus two weeks, had paid my tuition and bought the books. And the Holy Spirit said, you don't belong here. I don't have time to talk to you about the whole thing. I wandered over to a Bible college. A guy named J. Frank Norris had started down in that part of Texas and talked to the guy with the council over there. And he said, I don't know what to tell you today, but if you leave over there and come over here and see if the Lord speaks to you, oh, yeah, I'll pay all your tuition and then buy all your books and then just walk off. Now I thought about what Christ had done for me. I said, UTA is history. And that's what God wanted. But you never know. But God has the power and the authority. So he did that with Peter and Andrew. And Matthew is sitting at the seat of customs. He was a tax collector. And Jesus walks by and talks to a tax collector. I'd hate to think that a tax collector is more spiritual than we are. God's sake, if he can talk to a tax collector and he can't speak to you, something's wrong. Follow me. He gets up and leaves and follows the Lord. Then you've got the Apostle Paul, and he hates everything that Christ stands for. On the Damascus Road, had that experience with the Lord. Falls to the ground, great light in the sky. What comes out of Paul's mouth? Lord, what would you have me do? Have you ever said that? Why not? You don't trust him? You don't think he knows better than you what's best for you? He not only wants what's good for you now, he wants what's good for you for eternity because life down here, no matter how long you live, it is short. 
eternities forever. I can't wait. I love the world God's already made. Can you imagine what it looked like before man messed with it? Oh, my goodness. No chiggers. You got to talk to Texans to understand chiggers and ticks. Remember some guys, uh, we got a big prison in McAllister, Oklahoma, and some boys from way up north, some, some of my Yankees, Yankee guys. I'd say my friends, but I didn't know them. I just read it in the newspaper. They come down and robbed a couple of convenience stores, and they got picked up. And they weren't violent. They threw them in McAllister, and they threw in minimum secure. They escaped in the summertime out in the woods. About four days, they come out on the highways waving people down to get them to take them back to the prison. They were eaten up, you know I mean? New Earth, not going to have all that kind of stuff. It's really going to be special. But you know, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Now think about it. Stuff that you own. Now, I said in Sunday school, I like mechanical stuff, and I still remember getting my first few craftsman tools. And... Uh, they used to tell you, with, you know, they're guaranteed for life. And you just take them in and get another one. See, if they told you with the screwdrivers, you know, that screwdriver had a little gap in there where the handle goes on the shaft. You weren't supposed to use it as a chisel. <laughs> Telling a man not to use a screwdriver for a chisel, that's not going to work. But anyway, if you hit it, it closed that little gap. And they said, if that closes that gap, we're not obligated to replace it. It's a screwdriver. Because I remember taking one in one time, he looked at it, and he said, did it make a good chisel? I said, yes, sir. Here's your screwdriver, son. <laughs> but what if a screwdriver could talk? Because, see, we can talk. And I'm getting ready to do something, and I need a chisel, and there's a big flat blade screwdriver right there. And I pick it up, and I got my hammer, and I'm getting using a screwdriver. It says, hey, I'm a screwdriver. I'm not a chisel. I'm going to say, Mr. Screwdriver, I bought you. I paid for you. Without me, you wouldn't be in existence. Now, you better cool it where there's a big vice right over in the corner. <laughs> now, see, and don't you ladies just start looking at your husband. Tell me you never use those pot and pans for anything but for cooking. <laughs> I might have got a wife. <laughs> They can do stuff with the rolling pins, I imagine. I just tried to stay south side of those things, you know. But wouldn't it be fair for us to give to God what we expect ourselves? That if we buy and pay for something, it's ours. You say, well, I'm not bought. Then I'll tell you where you're not going. I'm sorry, I'm not being crude. We're either bought with the blood of Christ or heaven's not our home. We belong to him. So he has the power and the authority to call us. It's right, and that's the reason he can say, go you therefore and teach all nations. Number two, he has the power and the authority to use us. And it says here, go you therefore and teach all nations. Now what does it say next? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You don't baptize people that haven't trusted Christ. You can't be baptized till you've been saved. You say, yeah, I was. No, you were ducked. You can be ducked in the water, but until you have trusted Christ, 
as your personal Savior, there is no scriptural baptism. He said, well, maybe I was baptized before I got saved. No, you were dunked before then. And if you get saved, then you need to be scripturally baptized with the authority of the local church. But here, you say, what's your point? He says, okay, you go and teach. And then he says, when you go and teach, you'll baptize. Well, since you don't baptize people until they get saved, then people are going to get saved. It's right there in the verse. In other words, the assumption is there. If you go and teach and you go and preach, something's going to happen. It is going to happen. The gospel is powerful. And you may not see all of it happen. You know, the old Puritan prayed, Lord, help me in my lifetime to do a lot of good without ever knowing it. I believe if we do everything God tells us the best we can, that when we stand before the Lord, we'll be rewarded for more things we did not know about than that we did. Hasn't He done things for you and you thought, I didn't even think to ask Him. If we only knew what God's done for us that we didn't ask Him for, just to protect us and take care of us and provide for us. I, I, I had such a fear out of Bible college. My dad had a third grade education. He was a depression boy. My dad couldn't read. He could read some simple words. I never saw him read a book in his life. And I grew up under that. You can say what you want, but where you grew up has a lot to do with who you know what you are. And I was always intimidated. He said, don't sound like it now. Well, it still doesn't mean my guts don't turn over every day when I'm thinking about them when you're going to pulpit. And you think, I could never do that. Sometimes I think if I'm ever going to die, it's probably going to be. I'm just serious. And once you get into the preaching experience, somehow the Lord helps. I'm just telling you that God has a power and authority to use you. Now, what about, we talked about Moses earlier. And Moses, you know, he said, I'm slow of speech. I'm just, you know, paraphrasing. I can't do it. I can't be your spokesman. And so God finally got tired of it. He said, well, who made your mouth? I think who made it probably knows more about it than us. And then so he said, okay, let Aaron speak. Well, Aaron didn't get to talk much, and Moses took over. And so God can give you the ability, not only can, will to do what he calls you to do. You don't have to be like somebody else. He didn't call your pastor to be exactly like anybody else or me or whatever. We're all individual and God knows where to use us and how to use us. Or Esther, I think about the godly young women and, and sometimes it doesn't seem like there's enough of godly young men to go around. And you say, what? You just serve the Lord. Esther, you say, I don't know where all the men were, but Esther's the one that saved the whole nation of Israel. And she put her life on the line. Some of the greatest saints that will ever stand before God will be the ladies. Boy, there's nothing has the influence of a godly mama. Oh, mothers, I could preach on that for an hour. Moses, <laughs> Moses' mother only had him till he was weaned, which is about eight years old probably. And then he went into a pagan culture the rest of his life. Pagan school, pagan business, pagan everything, and all kinds of money. And when he was 40 years old, he turned all of it down. He would have been the next pharaoh. That was the influence of a godly mother. We can't hardly get our kids to school and back in the evening. I understand public schools are horrible, and I'm glad you've got a school. But I think maybe Jochebed might could have handled this culture. I don't know. If you think this culture is worse than Pharaoh's, you need to go read your Bible again. Yeah. 
God gives men, men are creatures of authority, women are creatures of influence, they're equally powerful. I can prove it secularly, and I can prove it from the Bible. Man, when those messed, unbeatable. You just, you, women be godly, men be men of authority, and tell the devil, you're not getting my kid's smutty face. Because with God's help, you can do that. But someone like Esther <laughs> saved the nation. Or Daniel, who's carried away as a teenager to another country where he can't even speak the language and rises to the top. And when another nation comes in and wipes him out, the king and everybody else, Daniel's still there. And the next nation comes in and wipes out everything, and Daniel's still there. Went through three kingdoms, and Daniel is still there. Because Daniel wouldn't bow. Man of prayer. What about his buddies? Three Hebrew children? Well, God has a power and authority to use you. John the Baptist, wild man. Man, if I came in here to preach this morning, had on a loin skin and, <laughs> you know, eating some grasshoppers and chewing on them when I come in here, <laughs> you say, Pastor, are you sure this is our guest speaker here for today? I mean, I can't wait to meet those guys. I want to meet Shamgar. If I had another boy, I'd need him. I'd name him Shamgar. I mean, you know, you're a youth director. If you've got Mark and Luke and Matthew and Shamgar, who do you think is going to be in charge of that operation? Well, Shamgar whooped up on 600 Philistines with a stick. Ox goad. <laughs> Took me 23 years to get somebody to name a boy Shamgar at Eastland Baptist Church. He's a terror of that place. <laughs> God has a power and authority to call us. I hope you believe that. And don't just say it one time, you know, come to the altar and say, Lord, what would you have me do? I don't know what to do, Lord, but what would you have me do? And he knows. And it's a wonderful thing. Speaking to a couple back here this morning, and uh, they said, we've seen you before over in Arizona with Tim Larkley. And Tim Larkley, his dad left when he was five. His mother's deceased. I had Tim in Bible college at Heartland. And man, he grew up about as rough as anybody I'd ever known. And Tim didn't know how to dress, didn't know how to iron a shirt. He learned all that in Bible college and stuff. Came and worked at our church after he graduated and single and finally went out to Cottonwood. I was having a Bible study out there with four people. An older couple had started that and they'd got killed in a head-on collision out there and these four people thought they was going to have a church. Thought that vision was over. Brother Randolph was a pastor there in Phoenix, called me and said, I want you to pray for this little group of people and then pray for the family of these people. And we, I said, we'll do it. And Tim was working for us, and so as a staff we prayed, and then I saw Tim was moved visibly. Came up after that, and he said, Brother Pastor, you think I could go out and meet those people? Well, he'd been there about eight months, and he's only going to get a year as an intern. And uh, so I said, yeah, go ahead, Tim. We'll pay you away. Went out there. Well, anyway, to make the story short, he went out there. Next time I saw him in a year or two, he was renting a school building. Had about 25 people in there instead of four. And stayed there like 10, 12 years, running about 90 or 100. Money in the bank. 
married a beautiful blonde-headed wife and got four kids. I think, wow, God has the power and the authority. Tim had a horrible launching pad as far as his family. But God's God. And isn't that wonderful? It's between you and him. Well, then not only that, God has the power and the authority to sustain you. Now, what does it say? Teaching, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the earth. That's what we really need to know, is that God is with us, because when God is with us, then everything else will fall into place. I think back about Moses again now, and uh, we sometimes we read the Bible. I would say most of the time we might just read the Bible without getting into character. You know what it means to get into character? Best illustration I know is that probably all of you have been to a Christmas program at some church. In every Christmas program, there's one boy don't want to be in that program. How come y'all laughing already? Pardon my grammar. He don't know his lines. He don't know his part. He don't like. He don't want to be on this platform at all. And you can tell it. He says, "What does it mean to get into character? Put yourself where the person was." And that's not easy to do. And Moses is responsible for all these people. Yeah, there's some tough dudes there, but there's a lot of old folks like me. I don't have the stamina, the strength I used to have. And there's pregnant ladies out there and people with little babies. And you've got hundreds of thousands of them. And then you've got to see in front of you the mountains. And now the biggest army on earth is coming behind you. And you know what God does. But to get on the other side, what was it like on the first night on the other side? I don't know why I think like that, but that's what I thought about. One time I almost got hit in my car. Car almost broadsided me and squealed and it missed me. But I mean, I woke up for a couple of nights and jerked because I thought I'd been had. I lost an engine in an airplane one time. I had to put it down and, and I was, it's okay. But I still remember that. I wonder what that was like. And I'm thinking at 3 o'clock in the morning, some little Hebrew boy about 4, 5, 6 years old starts crying. And his dad says, so much wrong. He said, Dad, I'm scared. You'd have every right on earth to be scared. His dad reaches over to the front of that tent, throws a flout back. There's a pillar of fire that goes from the ground completely out of sight. He said, son, don't be afraid. Look who's here. Man, isn't that great? You think about Daniel. We talked about him. He's thrown in a lion's den because he's not going to quit praying. And so they put him in there. And the Bible says when Daniel got there, the angel of the Lord was there. Now I want to suggest to you, you don't ever mess with one of them. Because one of them cleaned up on 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Now, you know, I don't know exactly what it's like, but we've got some hungry lions, and I don't know how many we've got. Probably look like a girl's bedroom. You know, I've stuffed animals everywhere, you know, and I'm being. 
So Daniel goes down there and there's the angel of the Lord. I tell you what I think. I think Daniel just drug those lines up over in the corner and puffed them up real good and snuggled in there. Probably in the morning, about breakfast time, when those lines is just thinking, if I just had a little bit of Hebrew meat, <laughs> probably salivating. And he's looking, he's only 18 inches from Daniel's throat. He looks back at the angel. The angel don't sleep. angel looked back at the line and he goes, that's it. He said, you've got a wild... Well, you, you tell me how it happened. Because a king had the palace, but the Bible said he didn't sleep. Daniel slept like a baby because of who was there. God's got the power and the authority to sustain us. Oh, Brother Hardy, that's just for Daniel. Oh, no. We... The, the Bible makes it plain. We couldn't, you couldn't carry a Bible around if it, it had something to say about everything God has done. And then you've got his three buddies. And, you know, they make this big golden image and they're going to bow down and they say, you know, kind of like some of the people are saying today uh, with different riots and going on like this, bow down to Black Lives Matters or White Lives Matters, whoever. I just like what the... The black policeman said, he said, I don't bow to anybody but Jesus Christ. Of course, that was such a great testimony, they took him off. He only got to do that once, and social media cut him out. That's all the person I plan on bowing to, too. They said, we're going to throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. Okay? They throw him in there. And the, and the soldiers that put him in there, it was so hot, it killed them. They finally got him up, but in the process, they were slain. And they're down in that furnace, and the king, I guess, somehow can see from his place, maybe shielding his face from the heat. And he said, how many did we put in there? Three. I see four. I thought we tied them up. We did, king. While they're walking around in there. Burning, walking around in a fiery furnace. He said, yeah, there's four. And then the king says, what, what does he say? He's a lost man. Fourth one looks like a son of God. Oh, Really? when God's with us. Oh, we can make our mind up. We want to be back in Egypt without God or over in the wilderness with God? Want to be up in the palace without God or in the lion's den with God? Out in the open without God or in the burning fire furnace with God? You say, where's God? In His will. In His will. And you say, well, that's for preachers. No. <laughs> it's for everybody. A preacher is no more important to God than the baby over here in the nursery. Isn't that great? Because He's the only one like that. And by the way, if you want to get right down to Him, you don't have anything He needs. He just loves us. If you want to get down to it, if anybody cost you as much trouble as we cost God, what would you do with them? You'd be guilty of murder. No telling what you've done. Well, so I'm thinking about missions. And not only can we give to missions, but the saddest thing would be not that we don't have enough money to give to missions. The saddest thing would be if we didn't have anybody to give it to. And nobody wanted to go. So I rejoice every time a missionary says... Or a young person, I'm going to be a missionary. Well, I'm going to do what I can. 
fact is, missionaries come through Stillwater. We're not home but about four months out of the year. They say, y'all going to be there? And I said, no, well, we thought we might spend the night. I said, I'll tell you where the key is. He said, go stay there as long as you want. God is so good. So this morning, we come right down to it then to just remember that God has the power and authority to call us. He's got the power and authority to use us. He's got the power and the authority to sustain us. But the decision is ours, either mine or yours. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to our audio preaching podcast. For more information about our ministries, or if you would like to get in contact with us, please visit our website at heritagebaptistctx.org. May God bless you as you go forward with the gospel this week.